Has South Florida filed for divorce from spring breakers? Are MIA and other airports ready for the vacation crush? And what about our eroding beaches? Welcome to a spring break edition of the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Padgett. In the next hour, we'll talk with the mayors of Miami Beach and Hollywood about why we've come to dread the month of March here and whether some efforts to block the spring break crowds are crossing a line. We'll also look at whether Miami International and Florida Hollywood International airports have fixed their nagging problems in time for the spring break wave, and we'll examine whether throwing more sand at the problem is really the way to save our beaches. All that coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Padgett. Welcome to a spring break edition of the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, bienvindo. Here's a blast from South Florida's way past. Not exactly Carol G, is it? That's Connie Francis singing the title song to the 1960 film Where the Boys Are. It was shot in Fort Lauderdale, and it's credited with starting the spring break craze. But 64 years later, Connie and her friends are no longer getting a warm reception here. That annual invasion of high school and college vacationers was once as much an accepted part of March in South Florida as low humidity. Today, surveys indicate spring breakers rank high among the things Floridians most dislike. In fact, especially after two deadly shootings last year on Ocean Drive, spring break meccas like Miami Beach are cracking down and serving notice that the often rowdy young crowds are no longer as welcome, if not altogether unwelcome. To keep them at bay this year, they're taking measures like closing public garages on the peak weekends of March. Critics call those efforts borderline racist. Either way, a historic divorce is occurring here, and it's prompting national media attention and controversy. Have spring breakers worn out their welcome in South Florida? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now is Stephen Miner, the mayor of Miami Beach, and Josh Levy, the mayor of Hollywood, just south of Fort Lauderdale. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Great to be here. Mayor Miner, um, now that movie I just referred to is even older than I am, and uh, things have me too. Cha- <laughs> things have changed radically, as I said, in 64 years. So. Bring us up to speed on this flurry of measures we've watched the Miami Beach City Commission pass in recent weeks. What's the final package here? Break us break down for us, if you would, what has finally been decided in terms of parking, curfews, alcohol hours, beach entrances, and other efforts to control the crowds. Yeah, so so for the last, last number of years, we've had some serious problems during a handful of weekends and literally just a handful of blocks on Ocean Drive. And oftentimes the problems are from people who are not high school and college students. They're people in their late 20s, 30s, 
So um, we are going to have a very visible law enforcement presence like like uh, we've never seen before. And that includes not only our Miami Beach police, but many other sister agencies. I was in Tallahassee this week. You are going to see uh, a serious presence of state troopers as you enter and come into our city. We are doing DUI checks. And then as you get there are traffic loops that are going to restrict the traffic, especially into residential areas that surround the, uh, the South Beach uh, Entertainment or Art Deco District. You're going to see closures of our parking garages for non-residents. So if you're in South Beach, you're not going to be able to park in our municipal garages, surface lots, or on the street. On, and we also on on which on which specific weekends? Remind us. Sure, that's the weekends, the second and third weekend. So it's the seventh through the tenth, right. and then again the fourteenth through the seventeenth of March. Okay. We also have restrictions weeks one and four. So basically starting this weekend, but not not as uh, not not as onerous as what I just described for second and third weeks. Right. And we want to remind people. Um, for example, Miami Beach's free citywide trolley service will be operating still. Um, in but 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 perhaps in a in a narrower uh, focus, can you can you remind us what will be available to people in in that regard? Oh yeah, I mean the trolleys are still still operating. And by the way, just to continue what you were saying before, we are also restricting beach access to get on the beach after six p.m. Not permitted, but even okay. regular times, only three entrances to the beach in South Beach. Um, we're going to have checkpoints. Uh, uh, looking through bags, making sure people are only bringing what's allowed. Right. Uh, on, onto the beaches and things like curfew and alcohol hours. Where where do things uh, stand in that regard right now? So the city manager does have the emergency powers to up to seventy two hours. We have not implemented that yet, but obviously that could change at any moment. And after seventy two hours, we would we would call a special city commission meeting, which unfortunately we've had to do the last few years. But I'm confident the measures we're putting into place to limit the crowds to keep uh, to keep the violence uh, out that uh, these measures will work and those won't be necessary. And just to add, we are a welcoming city. We want everyone to come and enjoy. And most people, 99% of the people who do come here, come here to enjoy our beautiful, magnificent city. We're actually packed. Our hotels are booked mm -hmm. for March, but just don't come Just don't come here looking for trouble. Right. We will enforce our laws. It will not end well if you come in here, look for trouble. Now, Mayor Minder, you, you campaigned last year as a law and order mayoral candidate. And you said recently that, quote, enough is enough when it comes to the spring break bedlam Miami Beach has been dealing with in recent years. But I wanted to ask you, why do you feel all this is the right strategy to deal with uh, that bedlam? Well, any level of, we had two individuals last year, again, a very small area of our city on Ocean Drive, a couple of those weekends, which we know are are sort of our hotspots. There were, there were two fatalities on our streets last year. That is just unacceptable. I can't tell you the pain that I feel when that happens and I think, could I have done more? And now that I'm mayor, I'm making sure that I, our city commission, our police department, our city administration, we're doing more. And, and in the larger picture, what's your diagnosis as to what brought us to this point? What do you think has made the spring break problem so much worse today for cities like Miami Beach? Well, I think in some respects, we're a victim of our own success. We have a magnificent city. We're a welcoming city. People want to come here and enjoy. Um, Ocean Drive is is literally one of the most iconic, magnificent streets that you will find anywhere in America and the world, for that matter. So it's a time when people think they can come here and sort of enjoy and unfortunately also commit some uh, some some criminal acts. And that's how I think it's imperative. Not only are we talking about spring break when I said and you referred to me, which is true, the law and order mayor, it's 365 days a year. It's showing people that we will enforce our laws stringently 
every day of the year, and that includes spring break. Right. But just really quickly, you mentioned earlier that you think this is not so much a problem with the students, per se, as sort of uh, other elements, uh, older people who have been sort of maybe uh, uh, tagging along into this phenomenon. Should we be putting, I guess is what I'm saying, so much onus on the students involved in spring break uh, in, in, instead of uh, an older element that you're referring to. I agree with that, but you obviously the laws are going to apply to everyone, right? You can't, you can't single out, and we're not single out anyone. We are putting in these measures for anyone who wants to come to this into our city. Right. So, yes, so a lot of the problems are happening. Spring break might not be the best term to use, actually. It's, it's, a, March, it's a March problem. Okay. Now, Mayor Levy, the feeling is that there's not as much spring break angst up in Broward County. And yet just this week, Fort Lauderdale, too, said it plans to raise parking rates astronomically. But it says it's not trying to dissuade spring breakers so much as just reduce car traffic. Whatever the reason, is it accurate to say, Mayor Levy, that uh, that, that the Broward cities like Fort Lauderdale and yours, Hollywood, aren't as worked up about spring breakers as we are down here? Well, we aren't as worked up because we haven't had the same experience that Mayor Miner has had to deal with over the years in Miami Beach. And so oftentimes, you know, city policy reflects, you know, a reaction to uh, an experience and and challenges that you might experience. And so we've had uh, really a, a mostly peaceful experience in Broward with a lot of vacationers from all over the country and around the world. Uh, but in Hollywood, for example, much of those vacationers are, are not uh, rowdy people looking to party at night and potentially you know, uh, engage in criminal conduct. Right. Uh, we have retirees, snowbirds, uh, families vacationing, and a lot of, you know, local South Broward residents that utilize our beach. Right. Um, and so it's a different experience that we've had. And so therefore the, the, the preparedness, although is there, uh, it's not as, as, as white, as, as stringent as Mayor Minor has had to instill because of the experience they've had. Right. But there has been a lot of talk recently about the spring breakers who get shut out of Miami Beach and Miami-Dade County moving north to Broward now, meaning cities like yours up there could be facing a larger onslaught than you anticipated. And so if so, how are you preparing for it? And so that's why you, you hear Fort Lauderdale uh, you know, putting in a very much higher uh, parking uh, rate. Um, to try to dissuade, uh, you know, the, um, you know, overcapacity of their beach, so to speak. Uh, in Hollywood, we certainly are, are prepared, as we are, you know, at every uh, peak seat of the season, which in March is one of the busiest months of the year uh, for our beach businesses and what have you. And so the Hollywood Police Department has enhanced enforcement during these seasons um, and a lot of things in place. For example, you know, we have a, a year-round ban on alcohol uh, consumption, on open containers and smoking and single-use plastics and the combination of canopies and oversized coolers. And so we'll have more officers as we as we do every March patrolling, enforcing our, our municipal ordinances and ensuring that people are behaving in accordance with with law and in a peaceful way. And so long as that's the case, you know, we like Mayor Miner said, we, we welcome vacationers. We are all vacation um, you know, destinations. Hollywood Beach was just ranked as the number four beach in the country by TripAdvisor following Hawaii, uh, two beaches in Hawaii and Siesta oh. Key. And so. Okay. We're a popular spot. And let, let, let me put that same question to you that I asked Mayor Miner earlier. What do you feel has changed about the spring break culture that's led to this whole anti-spring break movement uh, that we're you know going through here? You know, I think I agree with Mayor Miner. It's, it, uh, spring break is probably a misnomer uh, because this isn't the, the, the typical, you know, uh, 
1980s, you know, belly flop, uh, beer guzzling uh, spring break that we see in the 1980s movies. It's been different. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's an issue with more guns in our society versus 1980s. And people mm-hmm. who consume alcohol and are carrying weapons are, you know, more likely to use them. That's certainly not acceptable. Uh, it's criminal behavior. And and I I think it reflects, honestly, a society that uh, that has uh, people who who are too easily willing to to engage in criminal conduct. And, and yeah. we don't want to stand for it as, as any cities right in the United States, okay. let alone here in South Florida. So, yeah, we want to deter, you know, that type of behavior with with mm-hmm. police uh, you know, presence. Uh, okay. And we're all going to do the same thing, hoping for a peaceful and enjoyable, you know, uh, march for everybody. Mayor Miner, a couple weeks ago, you insisted that Miami Beach and its leadership are, quote, united in its crackdown on spring break. But reports like one in the Miami Herald yesterday suggest another picture. Some critics complain that this is being done more for political reasons than genuine safety issues. The head of the Miami Beach Police Union, Bobby Hernandez, called the city's current approach a, quote, Diet Coke version of an operational plan and that it's, quote, refusing to use things that have worked in the past, like a South Beach traffic loop, for example. How do you respond to that? I mean, the, the things you just described, there's always going to be noise in the background. It's noise. We, we had open commission meetings, several of them. I made numerous proposals. There were 13 measures in there. Some of my colleagues also had some proposals which were, which were subsumed in, in my sort of collective it was unanimously passed. There was uh, literally, I don't even recall any dissent on any of the items that we passed. Uh, and we had a 7-0 vote. Our city administration was fully in support. Our police department was fully in support. So I, I don't I don't see where there was any dissent. That's the forum where we have these meetings. And it was a publicly held meeting. And we are united as a commission, and I stand by that. All right. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Padgett. I'm talking with the mayors of Miami Beach and Hollywood about the end of our love affair with spring breakers. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Uh, Mayor Miner, following up on that, I also have to touch on another criticism that's been leveled at Miami Beach for its spring break crackdown. Uh, one that says essentially shutting off parking to outsiders has racist overtones. In her Miami Herald column this week, Fabiola Santiago said, quote, pricing out parking or closing public garages during the two weekends that attract black and brown people is discriminatory. Miami Beach has dealt with that criticism in the past related to its Memorial Day weekend policies, for example. But are accusations like Santiago's fair or, if not fair, at least something for Miami Beach to think about? Last year, we had two on two separate nights. We had two black males who were shot and killed on our streets. And I can tell you I'm emotional just talking about it now. And I, and I literally had I, I literally cried when it happened. So to say that there's that, that we are doing this, we are trying to protect every single person that comes into our city. So, I, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not naive. I knew that people would say these things, but my obligation, moral obligation, is to protect every single person, resident, visitor in our city. And we are doing that. I, and I have no, uh, I'm very comfortable what we're doing is done for the right reasons, for pure reasons, and to protect every single human being because every person deserves the respect and, dig- and dignity, and certainly for me as mayor to try to protect their life. 
Mayor Levy, what about the economics involved here? Spring breakers do bring noise, chaos, and lots of drinking, but they also bring millions of dollars. Do cities like yours worry that all the national media attention focused on the Miami Beach crackdown, for example, could in the end just make more spring breakers decide to go to North Carolina's beaches or Alabama's or Texas's? Does this so-called spring break divorce risk significant revenue loss for South Florida, or have we just decided the money's, you know, not all that worth it anymore? Well, I think it's a great question, but I think thankfully, you know, we're such a popular destination, one of a kind in the country, uh, that even if the spring breakers, so to speak, uh, decide to go to North Carolina or Texas or the Panhandle, um, we'll have plenty of tourists from around the world and from around the United States that will still fill up every single hotel room in sunny South Florida during during our season. And so, I'm not concerned. Our average daily rates are, are you know, throughout our ho- all hotels in Miami-Dade and Miami Beach and Broward, uh, you know, very strong occupancy, very strong um, restaurants have their best months in March. And so I'm not I'm not afraid of a, of a shift because in the end, again, there's enough to go around. Mayor Miner, I also wanted to ask you about the long term strategy here for Miami Beach. If it doesn't want to be spring break central anymore, then what? What is the new municipal profile Miami Beach hopes to come out of this with for the future? Well, we are. We, we are a very successful tourist destination. I mean, our hotel rates throughout the year are by far the highest in South Florida, in Miami-Dade County, and by a long shot. So, and, and by the way, that's true of March as well. Really, the message we're sending out is come here, enjoy our city. Everyone is welcome in our city, but just come here and abide by the law. We're also enhancing our art and culture footprint. We're, we're actively working on that. And the message is just clear. Play by the rules, abide by the law, and you'll have a great time here in Miami Beach. Mayor Levy, just really quickly, I want to give you the last word on that subject. In these past 64 years since that really bad movie, Where the Boys Are, came out, has spring break been a plus or a negative for the image of South Florida? Has it helped or hurt our brand here? And if it's hurt it, how, how do South Florida and communities like yours need to move beyond it now? Well, I, w- I would say that spring break growing up in the 80s, and I'll be 50 years old in November, um, was uh, sort of a fun aspect of South Florida where you can come and have a good time. Again, the, the criminal activity didn't take place. Sure, you had people who got too drunk, um, but uh, doing belly flops and keg stands and things, but uh, that's not the same as, as years past. And so I don't think uh, we suffer from a, a stigma. Uh, with regards to, you know, welcoming people to have fun on the beaches. I just think that when it crosses the line to criminal activity, then, of course, we all have to do what we need to do. Okay. Josh Levy is the mayor of Hollywood. Stephen Miner is the mayor of Miami Beach. Gentlemen, thank you, and happy March. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Still to come, are our airports ready for the spring break crush? This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Welcome back to the spring break edition of the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Yesterday, Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levinkava was once again at Miami International Airport to announce a new passenger experience enhancement campaign she calls IMMIA. We're hiring additional lightning crew members who will prioritize last minute maintenance issues that affect our visitors and our employees on a daily basis. 
Lightning Cruise in Blue Vest. Well, it's all part of a $1.7 billion maintenance improvement project that Levine Cava promises will reverse what she calls the county's years-long neglect of Miami International. That disrepair includes old, unclean public bathrooms, chronically out-of-order elevators, escalators, and moving walkways. And perhaps most glaring, last September shutdown of the airport's SkyTrain, which has forced passengers to make epic walks through the epic D-terminal. The SkyTrain should finally be fixed by the end of this month, but after the spring break crush. So all this raises the question, is Miami International Airport, which last year saw record passenger volume, really in shape right now to accommodate the deluge of traffic expected this month for spring break? And just as important, can efforts like IMMIA satisfy legislators in Tallahassee who want the state to take over the airport? What do you think? Are MIA and South Florida's other airports spring break ready? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now to assess that concern is one of the best Miami journalists in the business, Doug Hanks, who covers Miami-Dade County and the airport (laughs) for our news partner, the Miami Herald. Doug, how are you? Fine. Uh, thank you for having me on. No, thanks. For, so let's let's start with that question. Do you think airport experts would say Miami International Airport is really in the kind of condition it needs to be to make the passenger experience during peak travel times like spring break pleasant enough to leave folks with a fond memory of this place? Uh, yes, in that I don't think that you're going to see the spring break traffic dramatically different from what they're used to. March is definitely uh, a busy month. Um, it's just a little bit below what it is in the holidays. Yeah, I get but, that sense, too, that December December seems to be perhaps busier than even spring break, no? Right. December is busier. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be busy. It's a lot more, a lot of domestic passengers for spring break. Um and if you're on D and you're in one of these far off gates, uh, you probably are really going to notice it because you're not going to be able to take that train. Yeah. Um, now, you, you know, there's, listen, there's like little shuttle cars and stuff, but I think your typical spring break passenger is probably not going to wait for that trolley. They're probably just yeah. going to hoof it. And a, the college kids have energy and strong legs. Yeah. So where are these billions of dollars for MIA's improvements coming from, Doug? And, and, and where will they be spent for the most part? Well, the airport's self-funded, so it's really the passengers that pay it via what they pay for their tickets, okay. um, and and the the revenue that the airport charges the airlines essentially rent, and that's what that's what pays for it now. But the mayor's in charge, and the and the county commissioners are in charge, which in turn is a big driver of campaign donations uh-huh. uh, in terms of the vendors and, and the and the developers that get these contracts. So it's very much a political operation, but it is kind of a self financed uh, county entity. Mm-hmm. Now, Mayor Levine Cava often uses the word neglect to describe what she says she found at Miami International Airport after she was elected in 2020. Her predecessor, Carlos Jimenez, who's now a congressman, as we know, hasn't taken too kindly to her accusation that he left the airport something of a broken down mess for her to deal with. So just how long standing are these structural and maintenance issues at MIA? 
Well, there's it's everything. Certainly, when it comes to the maintenance, there is longstanding. We should note that the mayor was on the county commission for six years. Uh-huh. Um, right so right. good point. You know, voted for every, <laughs> voted for the AMA, for the airport budgets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say that there is a point to be made that one of the big contracts that the county has approved is to replace the elevators and the escalators rather yeah. than continue to repair them. Oh, yeah. And you hear that also with the with the transit escalators and elevators, which are very embarrassing. Oh, uh, that huge headache. They almost years, can't, yeah. they, yeah, they really can't be repaired anymore. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. we, they really need to bite the bullet and spend a lot more to bring in the new ones. So that is happening at MIA. Yeah. Um, so, but in, in the prior administration, there was massive capital spending on other items as well. So, mm-hmm. anything this big, I just think there's always a cycle that they delay of having to make the, the tough decisions to really spend a bunch of money on replacement. But I mean, even if Levine Kava did inherit a lot of these problems at MIA, is there also a feeling that perhaps she herself waited too long to confront them? I mean, we are at the end of her term, more or less. Right. That's the minister's point. Like, hey, you've been mayor for four years. Where was this emergency uh, on day one? Yeah. And there was there's always lots of drama at MIA. I mean, she fired one of the elevator contractors and it was kind of a bit of a there was a safety concern on one side. There was a, definitely a union dispute dispute on another. And she sided with the union. So mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there. Um, But there's also, I just think, a regular flow of maintenance dollars that are probably going to come and go Mm -hmm. no matter who's in charge. Now, I think anyone who's used MIA lately could identify with the 75-year-old woman you interviewed for the lead of your recent piece about the airport's disrepair. You met her just as she realized the escalator (laughs) up to the main level was broken and she'd have to walk up a long flight of stairs with her luggage. Again, a 75-year-old woman. Levine Kava said last month that the county isn't pursuing these MIA improvements just because of angry passenger tweets. But it seems to me that passenger anger just got too loud to ignore anymore, right? It was certainly getting loud and they were and, and it's a problem because you mentioned it in the introduction. You've, there's another drama going, which is Republican efforts in Tallahassee to take over yeah. the airport, uh, which has been a, f- a fear for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, yes, but I also feel like there's always you could probably pick any moment in time and there would be people ticked off about the condition of MIA. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first moved here and I wanted to get something to eat before I hopped on a plane, this would have been like 2002, probably uh-huh. my only choice was a baked potato cart. <laughs> so, you know, and that really yeah. was a big complaint back then was where's the retail MIA? Well, they, yeah. yeah, now it's really good. Yeah. We've got, um, we've got Margaritaville and everything. Else. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, but and right now they tell me about 10 percent of the escalators and elevators are not working. Right. So that's that's much higher than they want. But the odds are it, the one that you use will be working. And the, but the bigger breakdown is the SkyTrain, obviously. Uh, remind us what mm. caused that snafu and bring us up to speed, if you can, on where things stand on that critical piece of MIA passenger infrastructure. Yeah, we really haven't gotten a great ex- explanation as to why this was kind of missed and suddenly discovered that there was concrete issues requiring the thing to be shut down yeah um but but and that happened in september yeah okay and they say that the main train will be up and running uh by the end of this month so the countdown's on okay um and then the and then the final station which basically takes you to the American Airlines VIP lounge 
will be by the summer. Okay. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Padgett. We're talking about whether Miami International Airport and other South Florida airports are in shape to handle the spring break crush. I'm talking with Miami Herald's Doug Hanks. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Now, Doug, as a result of these and other problems, including the long waits and TSA lines, which, to be fair, is really the Fed's problem, not not the county's, Miami International Airport does not get good marks in all those surveys we see all the time about the nation's airports. But given how important tourism is to the economy here, how big a hit can this mean for Miami's larger image? Um, hold on. I thought MIA did do well in J.D. Power. Is that, I just want to... Well, okay. Uh, correct me on that then. Okay. I mean, I, I, have yeah, seen, just, I have seen I'm other Googling, surveys. I'm Googling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I know that they uh, they cite that a lot, the J.D. Power and satisfaction study they do relatively well in that okay so i, I guess my um, i'm question, not sure where, yeah. where do where do people go where they love their local airport i don't know you know i think everyone's yeah. always generally annoyed with the airport right um so anyway um yeah listen i think that mia used to be considered a much bigger problem than it is today when it comes to miami maybe i'm wrong on that but i feel like that there, there used to be such rage about the retail situation and yeah. not being able to get something to eat mm-hmm. um so, so now you're definitely hearing people saying this is embarrassing when they see i mean there was the pipe that burst in the ceiling right. which was a huge black eye right um and and, and, and as you said the and and the ugly bathrooms you know et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's, it's, yeah. uh, and 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 as you pointed out i mean just you know when you come out of your car in the garage and the first thing you meet at mia is an elevator that doesn't work that mm-hmm. that the, the psychological effect can 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 be pretty big but i and i know you don't cover broward county or its signature airport florida hollywood international but it, too, is the subject of many of these same complaints, including flooding, for example. Palm Beach International Airport just got a $112 million federal grant to improve its infrastructural problems. Do you think there's a sense right now in South Florida that airports need to be more seriously upgraded, especially, as I said, because we are such a tourism-heavy uh, economy? Yes, I think that generally people want their airport to be the best to get the upgrades to have more parking easier parking um quicker lines and by the way the local airports do have a role in that in terms of how much they allow the local um, or the the airlines to reserve lines for right uh, preferred customers vip customers which is an issue at mia very good point. Uh, sometimes yeah. you'll go to a checkpoint you can't use it unless you've paid more for the airline mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think that there's definitely uh, definitely pressure, and you definitely see it on the county commission. People complain about the commissioners complain about whatever they, they've run into if their luggage is late, or they get complaints about uh, problems with the luggage system. So yeah, yeah that's a big uh, that's a big part of of why a lot of these things happen is they are getting pressure well, from the public. We have David on the line from Weston, and Doug, apparently he doesn't agree with the J.D. Powers assessment. David, welcome to the South Florida Roundup. You're on the line. Hey, how you doing, my man? Appreciate All right. It. I had, me and my wife had the call. Um, um, I just flew in from Philadelphia. I'm here for a week. I went to Miami, and I'm going on a cruise this week. Um, I disagree. We were stuck on the tarmac for an hour and a half because the jetway was broke that was owned by the city. We got here on time. It took an hour and a half 
They couldn't fix it. We had to move the plane from one tarmac to the next. We got off the airplane. Um, the uh, the sky tram things uh, in terms of wouldn't work in the jetways. I had knee replacement, weren't working. We got trying to find the elevators. Every elevator we went to, they were broke. More than 10% of those elevators are broke. Right. <laughs> and I, I'm, a, I'm an avid traveler, but I will never, I go to Fort Lauderdale, I go to West, uh, West Palm, but I will never come to Miami again to go to the airport. That's the worst experience for anybody to ever go to in that airport. And I'm going back on a cruise uh, coming up, but when I go to the rental car place, I'm going to get an Uber um, to the, the port. I'm not going back to the airport because that airport is awful. Okay. Well, David, I'm very sorry about your experience with that. I hope the rest of your visit goes better. Um, thanks for your call. Doug, actually, David uh, uh, provides us a good segue uh, into a return to the issue you brought up briefly earlier. The other big question hanging over Miami International, if it doesn't get its act together, will Tallahassee decide to push Miami-Dade County aside and have the state of Florida take control of the airport. Will Levine Cava's multi-billion dollar upgrade plans be enough to call that off, do you think? Yeah, I'm not so sure that the two are connected. Um, you know, I think that the interest to take county control away from MIA existed before uh, the current situation and will exist after um but certainly if somehow if mia could be dramatically better than it is right now that would certainly help the case mm -hmm. and finally doug how long um by the way i i should mention i mean I, we our, our producer here helen acevedo is very good at this uh was just fact checking here and she's noticing there there are a, a lot of uh, surveys out there that do agree i think with david <laughs> more than they agree with jd power so we just want to sort of set the, i mean I, I appreciate you bringing up the jd power because that is an important one but uh, just a second the record straight there are a lot of surveys out there that uh, don't put mia in the best light but, but finally, Doug, how long do they estimate it will take to realize all these improvements? And do you think all these folks in blue lightning crew vests are going to reduce the angry tweets about the airport? No. Okay. Um. <laughs> Good. No. Thanks, for the, thanks for the succinct answer. But, um, but how long will it take to re realize well, all these improvements? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I really feel like the, the, the elevators and the escalators are the biggest source of complaints because it's just yeah. it's so frustrating when you walk up and of course you get there and you push the button and it's not working or maybe you'll see a little yellow thing but yeah. there's no sign saying hey watch out there's no elevators this way yeah. go the other way mm -hmm. um and that's going to be years uh you know they, they've they've started this program but there's if you go to the the airport website there's a sign saying we're having trouble getting parts and da 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 da, da. Okay. so it's a, definitely a a years-long process so right. theoretically you should start to see gradual improvement in that 10 percent figure okay should uh should drop all good reality check then doug thanks doug hanks covers miami-dade county and miami international airport for our news partner the miami herald doug many thanks as always thank you still to come now we'll ask are our eroding beaches ready for spring break this is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN.
Welcome back to the spring break edition of the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Spring break, as we know, is largely played out in bars and beaches, often in bars on beaches. And in South Florida, like anywhere else, beaches are under threat. Each year, sea level rise caused by climate change and global warming is bringing us more pronounced beach erosion, which makes you wonder, even if we still wanted hordes of spring breakers here, will there be enough sand left in future years for them to frolic on? So how do we combat beach erosion? How do we keep that vital sand from washing away in the most effective and most cost-effective way? The big debate is, do we just keep throwing more sand at the problem with beach renourishment, which is really expensive, or do we control the beach erosion itself with structures like seawalls or engineered systems like sand savers or pressure equalizing modules or PEM, which uses PVC pipes to reduce both the sea's erosion forces and sand loss? Are you concerned about mounting beach erosion here and how to control it? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now is Judy Wilson. She's the associate editor of The New Pelican, a newspaper published out of Pompano Beach that's been doing great coverage of the debate in South Florida coastal communities like Hillsborough Beach. Judy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Judy, in your reporting, how serious would you say the beach erosion problem on our Florida coast has gotten compared to, say, a decade or two decades ago? Well, it's hard to rate it. Um, I do know, and you do know, too, that it's in the news all the time for many reasons. And a lot of it is all the talk about weather effects and rising tides and warmer waters. So it makes sense that the problem is probably being acerbated by all of that. Right. Here's an interesting fact. Let me break in. Back in 1962, the city of Deerfield Beach put in a groin system south of their pier. Now, remind our listeners, though, what a groin system is. Yeah, and I will. It's a series of big coral rocks that right. they planted at the ocean's edge, which over the years became covered in sand and mm-hmm. has virtually saved Deerfield Beach. There's been virtually almost no erosion. Right. That, that project was done by a local city engineer to combat what had been going on for two decades before where the erosion was so bad that it had washed away at least one street and several homes and this was six sixty two years ago yeah well in 62 is when they did it but the, the two decades before that was when they suffered this ongoing terrible erosion right which prompted this particular um method now it's not allowed anymore it has been allowed for years and years mm-hmm. and in fact it's one of the reasons that at the south end where it abuts hillsborough beach they have having so much problems on right. their north beach so now, that, that obviously you can't put growing you can't groin the whole world i guess huh right so it's it's a much more long-standing problem than than we even realize Coastal communities like the ones you cover up in Broward County have long opted for beach replenishment or nourishment, as it's often called, essentially just replacing the sand lost to erosion. But as I mentioned earlier, that has gotten very expensive. By by some estimates, these municipalities are paying anywhere from 30 to 50 million dollars each year to restore beach sand. And that cost is rising because there's something of a shortage of sand these days, right? Absolutely. You know, there used to be sand offshore. Again, there was a big sand 
uh, supply off the shores of Deerfield Beach. Uh-huh. So gradually, through beach replenishments all along the coast, that sand was used, piped in and piped down and then piped onto the beaches. So that sand's all gone. Right. And again, expensive, but environmentalists also warn that beach sand nourishment doesn't just entail financial costs, but ecological costs as well. Sand that's trucked in, for example, isn't always compatible with the natural settings, and that can do harm to beach flora and fauna like shorebirds. Do you think local governments are aware of that concern as well? I think they've become they've become aware. I think that it's uh, a new awareness, and the conservation groups are very much responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the choices at this point are still kind of slim. There's no sand offshore. There's sand at Boca Inlet. There's sand at the Hillsborough Inlet. That's the only viable sand sources that I'm aware of. Right, and, and the, the mechanical things haven't don't seem to be working. Right, but those those sand sources you were just referring to, they're more I would think more compatible with a place like Hillsborough Beach because they're more local. But a big concern is that a lot of municipalities are now having to turn to sources much farther away uh, for sand, and the sand that's then coming in is isn't always that you know ecologically compatible with the, with the natural setting, me. right? Yes, and they tell me, the conservationists tell me it's not compatible at all. A lot of it comes from an area around Lake Wales. It's ancient, ancient sand, um, and it's not the same thing at all. It's, it's lighter. It doesn't stay in place. So they place it on the sand, it blows away. And when they plant, they, it doesn't hold the right plants to create a dune. So, uh-huh. And it's expensive to truck it in from the center of the oh, state. Sure. It's expensive. No. It's polluting to have all those trucks on the road. And yeah. it's much more disturbing to the neighborhood when you put the sand on the beach by trucking than it is by pumping it in offshore, obviously. Mm-hmm. So as a result, Judy, there, there's a lot more talk these days about focusing our beach erosion control efforts less on sand replacement and more on mitigating the effects of the erosion forces themselves. What up to now have been some of the most you know, popular methods most favored by coastal communities in our region, do you think? You know, at the outset, you just you mentioned the groin method, which is no longer, as you said, even permitted anymore. But when we talk about things like seawalls and reefs, what in a conventional sense has been the most uh, preferred way coastal communities try to look for ways to mitigate beach erosion rather than replace the sand? Well, the only one that I'm aware of for this area, which is what I cover, is the PEMS that we spoke of, the permeable tubes that were supposed to trap the sand and keep it from, from, you know, washing away. They weren't terribly effective when they were done in Hillsboro, as we talked about. Um, The project was stopped after a year, and a conventional replenishment was done. But in all fairness, at that point, their seawalls were being threatened, and some buildings close to the seawalls were being threatened. So I think they just panicked stop that project, put $7 million worth of sand on the beach. Um, Let, let's, let's, let's come to, back to that in a second. I just need to tell people, though, that this is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. I'm talking with Judy Wilson of the New Pelican newspaper in Pompano Beach about the growing and complicated debate over how to control beach erosion here. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. So, Judy, let, let's go back to that uh, this debate uh, that, that that's you know growing over one of the uh, perhaps more viable methods to, to mitigate uh, beach erosion, which is called, as you said, pressure equalizing modules, or PEM. 
um, which, as you mentioned, it's it involves vertical PVC pipes inserted along the beaches, right? And can you tell us with a little more detail about exactly how that works? Well, when they did it in 208 in Hillsborough, they play, replaced 90 of these on the beach starting at the north end. I think it was about a mile and a half where they're suffering their worst erosion. Um, but the contract was, the experiment was supposed to be for three years. And again, because of the severe condition of the beach, after a year or so, the city wanted to pull out. They couldn't see that there was enough sand being accreted to solve the problem. And and so they went ahead with the conventional idea. Since then, and I know you're aware of this too, mm-hmm. a gentleman who lives there, a retired engineer, went back over a lot of the studies that were done afterwards. Right. After the beach replenishment, you know, the state requires monitoring. Mm-hmm. Well, the PEM stayed in place for over a year before they got them all out. And during that time, sand did start to accrete, according to this Now, when you, we need to remind our listeners what accrete uh, means, oh, really, sorry. when we say that. It yeah. started to hold sand. It started right. to build sand a little. It started to build a sandy bottom right. it that was hadn't been Helping there the sand stay in place, which is the whole exactly. purpose here, right. And that gentleman exactly. that you mentioned is a retired engineer named John Myers, and his big point was that he thought that the city was simply giving up on the PEM method too soon, right? That it, it, the city yes. hadn't given it sufficient time to show results. Exactly, exactly. And, of course, that'll still be debated because now they're gone, but there is some proof in documents that that could have been been the situation. He suggested to me when we did the last story that it may be a system that works when you replenish to mm-hmm. then help keep the sand that you put on the beach. When there's no sand there, it doesn't perhaps build up enough sand, but it would help in retaining sand. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I should bring up, too, is that people like John Myers and other PEM supporters, um, those criti- they, they, they've suggested that municipalities like Hillsborough Beach are being pressured by what they call, quote, big sand or the sand companies, to get these municipalities to keep using expensive beach nourishment instead of erosion mitigation. Has Hillsborough Beach or any other coastal community here responded to that particular charge? No. No, and it has never come up. But the fact is, when you look around, when you sit through and aware how much goes into each beach nourishment in terms of the engineers to design it, the consultants that have, you know, marine consultants, the permitting, whatever method you use to put it in place, somebody's behind all that. Somebody's making money yeah. on all of that. And the dollars that it costs reflect that. So, you know, those people have, whoever they are, have lobbyists right. somewhere. And they have a, a belief in a certain system, and, they, and they, they're not going to back off of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Nope. Good. Good point. We have Mary on the line from Dania Beach. Uh, she's a park ranger, and she's got some some thoughts herself about how to combat erosion and its effects. Mary, welcome to the South Florida Roundup. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you. So, what are your thoughts? Well, what I'm seeing with my own eyes is this sand that we're talking about that comes from the Lake Wales area. It is very damaging to the ecosystem. It's covering up the coral reefs, mm-hmm. and also it's preventing all of the natural habitat for the fish that used to uh, thrive there. The fishermen on our beach are nonstop complaining. They come out every day, and they used to be able to fish regularly and catch regularly. Now there's no fish at all. Right. And uh, also uh, my suggestion would be perhaps considering offshore 
we have Eurojacks that are going perpendicular to our beach, which does no effect in terms mm-hmm. of saving the sand. But if it was offshore, like a water break, right. underneath the surface of the water, perhaps 10 feet below low tide, whatever that would be, the mean low tide seasonally, mm-hmm. uh, might be very beneficial. And it would probably, it also, it used to be like that before right. they started dumping all this sand. And they even used to have surf competitions because right. the reef system was so much right. better. Right. Art- artificial, artificial reefs offshore do seem to be preferable to, to seawalls for a lot of conservationists because um, they're, they're, they're a, a, a better, a more effective way of breaking that those those damaging waves is is that and, the point? And feathering them in rather than just stomping, and then the the wave action. You don't you can't beat Mother Nature. Right. Eventually, that would bust up those walls. Okay. So something more like a Eurojack. Okay. With, or those hollow balls that they use it would okay. probably be much more beneficial. Well, thank you, Mary. Um, And Judy, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much. Judy Wilson is the associate editor of the New Pelican newspaper in Pompano Beach. Judy, many thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us on. Finally on the Roundup, here's another reason to be worried about beach erosion. And it's, well, a lot more important than making sure college kids have fun on spring break. We are ready to go. That's video of local resident Miguel Araujo and friends on South Beach last fall watching loggerhead sea turtles hatching and ambling toward the sea. March marks the beginning of sea turtle nesting season. From now to October, sea turtles up and down Florida's coast dig nests on our beaches and lay up to 100 eggs to incubate in the sand. The cool part is when the baby turtles hatch and make their way to the sea. And here's one way all the spring breakers out there can help make sure this important natural marvel doesn't get ruined. Don't make bonfires on the beaches, which has been a spring break problem here in recent years. It's illegal in many, if not most, places on South Florida's coast. And a big reason it's against the law is that the fires scare those mother turtles away, and their debris can block the babies from making their slow march to the ocean. Sea turtles matter a lot because they play a critical role in keeping our vital seagrass beds and coral reefs healthy. That'll do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Helen Acevedo with help from Polly Landis. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mertz. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tim Paget. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. Gracias, Messi, obrigado. WLRN Public Media.